0: Leave your preconceived notions at the door, baby. We're talking about dating. Um, no, I, uh, <laughs> what's up? If you're new here, sorry. Uh, no, I, <laughs> my name's Rudy. I'm really glad uh, to get to be here with you tonight. Um, we are continuing a two-week series called Singleness and Dating, wherein we have talked about singleness and dating. Amazing, right? So creative. Um, <clears throat> I, uh. I am very excited for next week, though, as Katie and I get to kind of co-teach that on, on how to win the winter, so so be sure to come back, bring somebody with you, it's going to be a sweet time, um, but we are continuing in in this series, and remember, last week, we, we kind of laid down, there's there's two categories uh, to this that the scripture talks about in relation to kind of our uh, relationship status, and it's married and, and unmarried, and we're hanging out in the unmarried category, because that's the vast majority of the room, uh, it's singleness and, and, and dating, and... Hmm, how do I, I've thought about how I want to start this a couple of different ways, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to rip here a little bit. I uh, r- am going to teach this text, um, but I really, like, as I've, like, thought about this time and prayed about this time, I have thought, like, how can I be just, like, kind of big brother Rudy and help you like, like kind of help like look back and say, don't make these same stupid mistakes that I made. Um, but but also say, man, where, where we should be moving towards, pointing towards, uh, addressing is towards like this beautiful picture in scripture. And I've had this verse on my mind um, as I've been praying for you. If you just permit me to go off kilter a little bit here. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter six, which we have a late night tonight, Jared will talk a little bit about it. Um, but, We'll, our late night will be in First Corinthians six, but there's this piece of this verse in First Corinthians six, uh, where Paul is talking, and he says, "You were bought with a price," and and what has been on my heart and mind as I've been thinking about this text. Um, in part has been uh, some of those the messages that I've heard about dating I've honestly left the room sometimes when I was a student I remember leaving the room being like oh my gosh like I suck and this all sucks and I'm afraid and this is bad and and what I I so badly like want as I've been thinking about you and thinking about this time is for that that reality of first Corinthians chapter six where it says you were bought with a price to just really set the tone now if you're hearing that and you're like what the heck does that mean um it, what's being referred to there is paul saying to the corinthian church and as we're hearing it to us today you, you were bought with a price that the price that was paid for jesus christ to buy us out of our sin and into salvation uh, was his shed blood on a cross for our forgiveness and and i I think there's two things at least that I just want to set the tone for this tonight as we step in and talk about dating. Um, two things that, that I think are very clearly communicated to that. And, and one is how deeply you are loved and the other is how highly like God values you. you you're you so loved that in Jeremiah 31 verse 20, I just stole Michelle's Bible to make sure that I got the reference right. She was like, where's my Bible? And I'm like, I've got it, sorry. Um, <clears throat> it says that God's heart is, Earnestly yearns for his people, like the year, like the depth of the desire and love of God for those who are His is so like palpable and so strong that it's his, it's him, like yearning, longing, desiring, caring so deeply for his people. Uh, I know that He loves you because the the text Jesus Himself in John chapter three says, "God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whosoever would put their faith in Him might not perish but have everlasting." Life, that his love for you is so potent and so strong and so beautiful that, that Romans chapter five verse eight would say uh, that while we were, that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like there's such a high degree of love, and that love is shown to you, impersonated and personified towards us through Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life that we could never live, and died the death on the cross that you and that I deserved. He took the punishment our sin deserved, separation from God, uh, on Himself, so that we who put our trust in Jesus might know that we are loved, and and that He earnestly loves us. He delights in that that that. God loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus Christian like that is an incredible thing to start to wrap our minds around the beauty and depth of that love but it's also the the reality that you were bought with a with a price that it was a costly love that it was Jesus Christ saying I love you to the point at which I'm willing to die for you so that you might be a part of the kingdom of God, so that you might have eternal life, so that you might have salvation, so that you might be free and forgiven of your sin. And so all of that sets the tone, the love and the value of God as he looks at you Christian the love and the value of God to send his son to save you. Uh, if you were to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, even tonight, you're not a Christian here, like his love and affection, those things are still t- offered and available to, to you through Jesus Christ. That's the that's the tone that's set as we step into dating. I wanna take a, that 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 tone through the gospel and, and talk about it in a way um, that is so I wanna be really clear, I wanna be really gentle. And what I want most of all is for you to understand like the love and value of Jesus Christ towards you makes this topic important because he didn't give you relationships to add confusion and resentment to your life. Like, Like relationships don't have to be a place where that all gets muddled up. The love of God and the value of God towards you, Christian, then can get muddled up in our relationships with one another. I've experienced it, perhaps you have as well. So I want to get into dating. I'm going to talk a lot about like the who of dating a little more than the how of dating. Like we could get into like all the idiosyncr- idiosyncratic like pieces of like the how of dating, right? Like I could say clarity is kindness. Like you should be really clear about what you expect. And you should be really clear uh, about if you're asking someone out on a date or not. Like don't do the, like the date zero thing, like men, women, like, like it's a weird thing. Like all these different pieces that we could get into. But I really want to focus in on the the who of dating. Does that sound sound good? That, that's, that's the tone I want to set. That's kind of where I want to step into tonight as we move towards Matthew chapter five so to to set the pace there's a woman in our church Bridget who was recently talking about singleness and I I thought this quote that she dropped was really really cool when she said marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel because it reflects the intimacy of Christ and singleness is a beautiful reflection of the gospel because it's a picture of the sufficiency of Christ that's pretty good right Bridget's a part of doxa like 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 a really sweet quote um I I thought that was excellent and tonight we are going to be talking about what commonly bridges these two singleness and marriage together and kind of the modern West, which is, is dating. Now, if you were to ask me in late high school, early college, like how I describe dating, I would say that it was kind of like trying to play hopscotch in a minefield. You're just, you're just like, you're just like it just feels like I'd have no clue what's going on, and this feels like dangerous. I like I have so many dumb stories from when I was from when I was dating, I, I, I once broke up with a girl in high school, <clears throat> this is terrible, by telling her that I could only have one love in my life, and that that love was tennis. <laughs> and I just, I don't recommend that, like that's dumb, that's bad. Um, no one taught me the rules of social groups, so I then dated her best friend, and her friend, and her friend, like I was just, it was just not good, it was not good, okay, it was not good. <laughs> so my, my general approach to dating was to view it as recreation and consumption. That dating is just some fun thing to do and I want to date so that I can get something from this person and out of it. Now, it's a very immature, low view of dating, especially when you catch that from the person that you're dating. So, a couple, again, a couple stories from my own life. Um, it's like when the person that you really trusted cheats on you repeatedly and hides it from you and then lies about it over and over and over again. Or, and this might sound specific, um, when someone tells you that God told them not to date right now. Now, don't that God card, we're not going to deal with it, y'all, but just like buck up and just say, I don't want to date you anymore. Don't blame God for your problems. Um, sorry. Okay. I promise I'm going to be better. Um, when someone tells you, so someone told me, God told me not to date right now and then took the money that she was fundraising for a mission trip that we were going to go on together to fly out to New York to get engaged to the guy's brother who was discipling me. Um, That's a gnarly story, right? It it was just not a good spot, Like, like just some weird experience around dating. Now, dating could cause a whole list of questions and problems and tensions to pop up in your mind, but Let's get into it, like what is dating and what's God to say and have to say in the text about dating? Now, we're gonna deal with that second question first. Um, There's no text in the Bible that directly addresses dating specifically as a practice that we understand now in Western culture. That's because dating didn't exist until about 150 years ago. It's, it's relatively young on the world scene. However, the essence of dating, what dating is, I believe is actually talked about at length in the Bible. So before we get into the text, we're going to lay out our term. What is dating? Note takers, here's my main idea for a talk on dating. Dating is a practice of discernment. Dating is a practice of discernment. There's more I could add to it, but I think I'm going to sit just right there. Dating is a practice of, of discernment. Now, discernment is an incredible gift and tool in the life of the Christian. Psalm 119.66 captures it really beautifully when the psalmist says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Discernment is the act of clarifying what feels obscure, of applying good judgment and knowledge to be able to acquire guidance and know how to move forward discernment is a wise evaluation of what is in front of you and as Ligan Duncan says it's learning to think God's thoughts and having a sense of how things look through God's eyes I really like that picture of, of discernment dating is on the ground discernment as you are evaluating with wisdom the relationship that you're in now that's important to understand that you are evaluating with wisdom the relationship that you were in because every relationship has its own pace. Like I have some friends who got engaged after dating for six weeks. Now, I don't know if I would recommend that. I certainly wouldn't moralize it. I know friends that got married after, that got engaged after dating for six months, Molly and I dated for about a year and a half and then had a six month engagement. Uh, I did a wedding for some friends who were mar- engaged for a year after dating for a year, like all these different things. I, I, what I don't wanna do is moralize the pace of dating but I do think there's a way to be wise about your pacing and timing, but not not to moralize it. Every relationship moves at its own pace, but it always moves towards the same two ends. Every relationship moves towards two ends. One end is that you choose to end the relationship. The other end is that you choose to get married. Now, now I'm just I'm just laying that out there and I wanna take a step back and clarify two things. First, you might've heard me say, that dating is about evaluation, discernment, and thought that dating is about judgmentalism. Like discernment is supposed to be the overbearing act of constantly being judgmental towards another person, and that's just not true at all, like not at all. Like healthy evaluation looks like a clear and continued conversation where you are coming to know who the person that you're dating is. Unhealthy judgmentalism looks like critical manipulation where you demand that that person be something that they're not. Discernment is wise evaluation, not cruel judgmentalism. One is mature, the other is immature. One is healthy, the other is destructive. So That's one clarification, the other is this. When I said choose to end the relationship and decide to get married, you may have heard breakup is always bad and marriage is always good. And I've just gotta be so clear, that's not true. Again, the need to moralize these decisions is more informed by culture than by scripture. What is good is to wisely evaluate and move with discernment. What is bad is to treat dating like recreation or consumption. What is bad is to simplify dating to a game. Children play with games and hunters hunt game. Like don't look at it as a game. It's not a game. It's a person. This is a person in a relationship that you're in. It doesn't mean you putz along until you just settle for getting married because you've stumbled into and been a long, together so long or because you've been dating so long and just been, just been kicking it down the road so long that there's a brutal breakup. Yes, it can be good to be married, but it can also be good to break up. What's important is this. Are you viewing dating as a practice of discernment or is it something else? So when we get into this topic of discernment as the essence of dating, the Bible starts to open up to us way more. I just wanna use two verses to illustrate what I mean, both from Proverbs 25, one about men and one about women. The so Proverbs 25, 28 says a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That starts to form women a wise evaluation. It helps you to discern, does that guy that I'm dating or want to date lack self-control? If so, what could come in and take over his life? His life might be destroyed by it. It might destroy me along with it. I want to look for someone who has self-control. Just to be equal, Proverbs 25:24, just before that says, It's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in the house shared with a contentious wife. That's not for husbands. That's for single men to read while evaluating wisely. And they would have had a different practice, not dating a courtship then. Um, but, but there were these, these, these men, like you ask, is she contentious? Does it feel like every conflict is turned up to a thousand? Am I looking for someone who will be healthy in engaging me in conflict and want to make peace? See what I mean? Like there, you start to actually be able to enter in and engage with like, okay, I can practice discernment. I can start to wisely evaluate within my dating relationship. Now I'm going to say this, I'm going to come back to it, but I want to hit it now. Evaluation is always going to start with yourself and then it's going to move into your relationship. You start with you before you move into the other person and you two together, but evaluation is still so important. There's a couple ways you could evaluate. You could use your hand as an example here. You can think about the thumb as the anchor. This is the opposable thumb. I'm gonna hold everything with and in a strong way. The anchor of my life is my allegiance to Jesus Christ. My like, Does this person have a strong allegiance to Jesus Christ? How's their thumb? How's their index finger? What direction are they going in? If you're talking with someone you're dating someone and you're like, I wanna be an accountant in Minneapolis and they're like, I wanna be a missionary in Guangzhou, China. You gotta talk about, you got different directions you wanna go in. The middle finger, I won't show that one by itself. it's <clears throat> about your passions. Like what are you passionate about? What are they passionate about? That'll dictate how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your energy. You start to discern this together. Your ring finger, what degree of commitment are you looking for, looking towards right now? Your pinky, attraction. You could live without it, but it's nice to have, right? It's, um, no, um but, but it, it's all of these pieces. All these pieces start to think about how can I hold hands with someone else? A practice of discernment, a framework for discernment. I, I think there's three questions that I, I like to encourage men and women to ask when discerning and dating and and it's these, who are they really, where are they headed and who are you when you're around them? There's three good questions to consider as you're discerning in your dating relationship. And, And it all comes down to this, who am I looking for? Like actually answering that question, like who am I looking for as I'm dating. And you can get and give tips all day on how to date. We could spend the rest of our time talking about how to date. We spent some time on that in the spring. We've got a late night on our podcast you could go check out. But I wanna spend the majority rest of our time on this question. Who are you looking for? Now we can get into our text. (laughs) Matthew 5. This is the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches through the sermon what a follower of Jesus, a disciple of the kingdom of God, is supposed to, to be like. Now here's just my caveat from the top. Nobody, no one has perfectly practiced this pattern of life laid out in the Sermon on the Mount except for Jesus. Now that has a dual purpose. One, it exposes our sin and our need for Jesus Christ to save us and to be the bridge between the gap between us and God. We need Jesus Christ. He's laying that out. But the other thing he's doing is laying this out. As we follow Jesus, we actually begin to experience what is called spiritual formation. We are saved by Jesus Christ and we are shaped by Jesus Christ. Spiritual formation in a sentence is this. It is the process of being formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of worship and for the sake of others who are around you. So the the Sermon on the Mount exposes this gap that lives between us and God, that we need Jesus to bridge. We need Jesus to, to carry us across. We need Jesus to save us so that we might be in that kingdom, on his back, through his finished work on the cross and the empty tomb. And the Sermon on the Mount gives us a picture of who we already are in Christ so that we might become more like that as we're formed by Jesus himself. So he starts with the Sermon on the Mount by speaking to his disciples And then he lays out this way of life. So as it relates to discernment, wisely evaluating who we're looking for, we're looking for practice and passion as it relates to what Jesus says here, specifically about these first few verses, what's commonly known as the Beatitudes, which talk to the character of the disciple, who they actually are. It's been said that character is who you are when no one else is looking, and that's important because who you are in secret, salt company, is who you actually are. So this is laying out the character of the disciple of Jesus Christ, the person who we are looking for, who you are looking for. So I just want to walk through these and lay out a couple of questions as we consider dating as a practice of discernment through Matthew 5, verses 2 through 10. So first, check this word out that starts each of these. It's blessed. Blessed in the original language is an incredible word. Marikos, it means this idea of being happy or flourishing. So he's saying this is the blessed life, the happy life, the flourishing life. And what, what, what is being communicated here is that he's laying out a character and a way of life that not only leads to happiness and leads to blessing, leads to flourishing, but also causes other people around that person to experience happiness, blessing, and flourishing. He's saying this is the better way. This is the way of Jesus that by nature is going to cultivate this kind of blessed life in them and for those who are around them. So so check these out. Just a couple questions to help you discern through through this uh, with Matthew 5 as your lens. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. Is the person that you're considering dating understand that they have nothing to impress God with? Like is there a true poverty of spirit that forms in them a need to to know God or do they feel the need to be impressive? Are there roots within them where they're like I've got to be performative and I've got to present myself as better because if there's something inside of them that says I need to impress God, then there's going to be something that comes out of them that says I have to impress you and that will create a desire in you and need in you to have to impress them and instead of it will be this constant I need to put my best foot forward but not my most honest foot. I won't actually be able to bring my weakness into this relationship because if I bring my weakness, then I won't be impressive all of a sudden. If I'm not impressive and this person feels like they have to be impressive all the time towards God and towards others, I'm never going to actually be able to relax and rest in this relationship. It creates a tension, it creates a, a an itch, it creates this performative presenting of ourselves as better than we are all the time and devo- and is just devoid of the humility that comes through being weak. Like, can this person be pleasantly honest about their need for God? The next one, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. This comes right off of poor in spirit, like, is the person that you're in a relationship with or that you're thinking about dating, do they mourn their sin? Is there a love of Jesus that forms a godly sorrow in themselves for their own sin? Is there a mourning that leads to repentance? Like, are they repentant? Do they go to Jesus or go to others to confess sin so that they might see sin die and the way of Jesus bring life? Do they have a pattern of humility in that way? Do they have a pattern where they can actually bring their sin to other people? And James 5 says that we bring our sin, we confess our sin to one another so that we might pray for one another so that we might be healed. Do they bring their sin to Jesus so that they might know that they could be comforted by him as he forgives them of their sin? Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Poor in spirit, mourning sin, cultivating a character of meekness. Sometimes translated as humility, I think this word gets a really bad shake. Meekness is a humility that can endure the offenses and humanity of others. Meekness is says, I'm listening to others talk, not just to hear what they're saying, but to hear what they mean. Meekness is a humility that values another person even if that person is bringing offense towards me. Meekness is this idea in Hebrew of being big-souled, of being patient, able to endure and be resilient in relationship because of how much you care about that person in front of you. So does that person seem more interested in you or in themselves? Do they care more about how they look or who they are? Are they selfish or self-giving? Are they controlling or self-controlled? Are they sacrificial? Do they look for ways to serve, to serve even people who've offended them, to serve people who it doesn't feel like deserves for them to serve, or are they only concerned with being served? They consider Christ's way as better than any other way, including their own blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they'll be satisfied. Is there an appreciation for the work of Jesus towards them and him making them righteous? The the hunger and thirst for this righteousness that Jesus Christ himself brings and gives and has accomplished on their behalf that actually causes that accomplished righteousness to be applied in and around their lives they see themselves as poor in spirit and Christ meeting them there by making them righteous? And does that create a hunger and a thirst inside of them to care for the poor around them? They see themselves as mourning their sin and Christ forgiving them to the point where it causes them to actually look for the hurting who are around them. Is the righteousness of God the right way of Jesus actually something that they genuinely value? How do they treat the poor and the hurting who are around them? Do they hunger and thirst for the righteousness they've experienced over and over and over again to come back to God to produce and to practice this justice and mercy around them? Speaking of which, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This person that you're considering dating or or discerning in dating, are they compassionate? Are they forgiving? Do they give mercy as they've been given mercy in Christ? Are people around them treated as individuals to patiently love or obstacles to quickly overcome? Are they critical all the time, judgmental of others or of you in smaller significant ways? Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God now. Okay. This can quickly spread to like pure in heart leads to like don't have sex before marriage. Now God does lay out the best container in his design for sexual experience to be within the safety and commitment of a covenant relationship, a covenant marriage. But I think that that's isolating pure in heart to pure in hormones and is actually incredibly reductionistic. The call of this verse is actually much higher. Is there purity in what they love and what they spend their attention on? What they spend their time on? What they spend their money on? What they spend their activity on? What they communicate? What they talk about? Is there purity in the way they enter into conflict? Is there purity in the way that they talk about their friends? Is there purity in the way that they talk about you? So purity is integrity. My mentor in college once told me that with integrity nothing else matters and without integrity, nothing else matters. There's a, there's a weight to that integrity, to that purity in their heart. Verse 9: Blessed are the peacemakers, for so they'll be called the sons of God, the children of God. Now, there's a difference here between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Peacemakers do the hard work of entering into conflict with conviction and compassion. Peacekeepers always elevate one over the other. It's either all compassion and they, keep, they seek to keep the peace by avoiding conflict. It's like the theologian Taylor Swift said, putting band-aids over bullet holes. Like they, there's just that, 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 that like, I'm, I'm just trying to keep the peace by being all compassion all the time. Or are they all conviction? I'm going to keep the peace by dominating an argument. I'm going to make you know that you're wrong and that I'm the peacekeeper in this relationship. Peacemakers seek reconciliation between themselves and others and they're able to understand others before needing to be understood themselves for the sake of relationship. Peacemakers are those who have understood that Jesus Christ has brought peace in my relationship with him, his relationship with me through his finished work on the cross and it results in the seeking peace and reconciliation with others who are around me. Verse nine or verse 10, sorry, this last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven final question to consider in discerning while dating might be this. Is this person that you're dating willing to suffer loss for Jesus? Maybe a better way to say it is this. Is Jesus their treasure or their tolerance? Do they treasure Jesus or do they tolerate Jesus? If they treasure Jesus, then they'll treasure Christ in you. They'll continue to, to delight in the way that you're growing in Jesus Christ, the way that you're growing in your relationship with God, the way that, that you're even confessing sin, the weakness inside of you and the strengths inside of you. They'll delight in those things. But if they only tolerate Christ, then they'll only tolerate Christ in you. And they'll tolerate Christ in you until it costs them something. If Christ is not their treasure, you can guarantee there will be a point, some point down the line where your relationship and loving Jesus come in odds with one another. It's an incredibly painful moment. And if their disposition is tolerance and not treasure, then, it, then when it comes to losing something they want from either life or from you in the relationship, that conflict can be significant. All right, so these are just a few words of Jesus, a few uh, verses to, to, to consider and discern through as Christ is laying out the clear character of a Christ follower a picture to wisely evaluate and use as a discernment in dating as you consider who it is that you're looking for. All right, now let's collectively take a deep breath, okay? Um, No one hits these perfectly. I'll go first. I was writing this this week and was convicted about how I've been trying to escape being meek I've been convicted about how I've been trying to bend towards peacekeeping in conflict because there's pieces of both of those that just feel like they cost a lot right now and I feel tired. I had to repent while looking at this list, which is partially the point of it. It's for us to recognize that we aren't perfect but that we also aren't what we once were. Remember, we need to consider not only who that person is or where they're heading, but also who we are around them, which brings me to our final movement. I'll lay this out and I'm gonna take my seat here in a moment. While this is a picture of who you're looking for, it's also a picture of who you're looking for is looking for. Remember, discernment starts with yourself and then moves to others. So don't just run through this list for the other person, run through this list for you. These words of Jesus about the character of the Christ follower. I think that when you do that, there are two responses. The first one is actually to celebrate. Where you have seen growth where you've been formed into the image of Jesus, you might not be what you one day will be, but you're certainly not what you used to be either. I'm super proud actually, as I get to like look around this room and know, like so many of you and have gotten to see the way that you've grown in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that you might not be where you wanna be, but you're not where you used to be. And that's a result of the grace of Jesus Christ at work in your life. You can look at this list and say, I'm growing. actually celebrate the good work of God in those areas in your life. You can take joy in the work of the salvation of Jesus Christ constantly uh, maturing you to grow you up in Christ. you You can actually like see those areas in your life. And I'll say this, a good relationship will be marked by two people who are able to celebrate this growth in one another and celebrate the desire to grow in one another. Just as an aside, this is from my experience, Usually if someone writes off your desire to grow in Christ, it's because they don't want to grow in Christ. If you grow in Christ, it'll put the pressure on them to actually mature in Christ. And if they don't want to, then they're going to try to shut that down in you. But a good relationship I've seen will cause you to celebrate this growth in one another and be honest with one another. Celebrate and honesty. See, at the same time, we need to be honest about the areas where we aren't growing. The areas maybe we're stagnant or regressing. In fact, I think this is the beginning of us honestly being formed into the image of Jesus. Being honest about where we want to see this formation into this character of Christ take place. This is the beginning of the dynamics of gospel change. I've got it on a slide right here behind me. You start with honesty by, by saying, I'm not this. You, you have the introspective honest moment when you're like, this isn't me. For me, it was—I was reading it this week, and I was like, "I've—I've I've not been a peacemaker recently. I, I've been bending towards peacekeeping. This isn't me." But then I've got a vision that because of the gospel, this is who I am in Christ. I'm becoming more of who I already am in Christ, that if Jesus is inviting me to be a peacemaker, that means he'll give me everything that I need to be a peacemaker. He's given me everything I need for life and salvation. Why would he not give me everything else that I need to love and follow after him so I can trust that he's going to actually give me what I need as I follow after him, which then leads into intention. What What's my next step as I'm trying to lean into this? But I don't want to just white knuckle it, I'm not out there on my own because I've got a means as well that the same grace that saved me is the same grace that empowers me to change as well honesty vision intention and means the dynamics of the changing work of the gospel as we love and follow after Jesus you see Jesus saves us but he also shapes us this pattern is captured in the relation and separation of the words justification and sanctification Justification is the forgiveness of my sin through the work of Jesus Christ. I receive justification when I trust in Christ. The the word believe means to receive and he offers me forgiveness and a right standing before God as I believe in Christ. Justification, he makes it just as if I had never sinned. This is what Jesus does for us through the gospel. It's for you to be received by you if you put your faith in Jesus and his finished work. This is Jesus' safety. sanctification is the work of Jesus shaping this is the work of Jesus in and through you your salvation does not depend on what you do but the Jesus who saves us will shape us and as we participate in becoming more like him we start to find that we're being more formed into the image of Jesus more and more and more we follow the way of Jesus and the way of Jesus forms us This doesn't earn my salvation. This doesn't mean I keep my salvation through these good works. No, these good works are a production, a result, an overflow of the salvific work of Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith through grace in Christ alone. And as Christ saved us, he'll shape us over time as we become more like him as we follow him. We're saved in an instant as we believe in Christ and we're shaped over a lifetime as we follow Christ. So as you date, as dating is a practice of discernment, perhaps I could close it down like this. That as you date you should discern, wisely evaluate if the person you're dating has been saved by Christ, is being shaped by Christ and will help you love and follow Jesus, who they are, where they're going, who you are around them, saved by Christ being shaped by Christ, and will help you love and follow Jesus. After that, you may have preferences, you may have every how that that you wanna apply in that, and we can get into all of that in different ways, different spaces, but who is it that you're dating? Saved by Christ, being shaped by Christ, helping you love and follow Jesus. If you're gonna lock into a standard of who, I think that's a place to start. So just for a moment of focus and concentration, I wanna give us a a chance to respond. So I'd ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads here just, just for a moment. And I just wanna ask two questions and give you room to respond. The first is, is this, have you put your trust in Jesus? More important than any other thing, more important to me than, than you dating the right person is you having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I care that you date the right person, but I care frankly so much more that you'd have a right relationship with Jesus, Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life that you could never live and died the death on the cross that you and I both deserved. Jesus Christ, who through his death, we see the love of God on display as God comes down through Christ to save us, to rescue us, to die for us, to take the punishment, the weight that our sin deserved, the enslavement to sin that we were experiencing and take it on himself so that we might know freedom so that we might know forgiveness, so that we might be brought into the family of God, saved, eternally, promised life with God forever, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Have you put your trust in Jesus? That's number one. And number two, if you have, then I want you to consider that list of the Beatitudes poor in spirit, mourning, humility, hunger and thirst after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peace making, willing to suffer loss for Jesus. And just where you are, I want you to start with you. Where do you need to celebrate? the work of God in you. Just think back over the last year. How have you seen Jesus shape you, transform you, change you more to the image of himself? And then as you celebrate, also be honest. Be honest, where does it feel like you need him to shape you, ask him. Ask for vision, ask for whatever that next step might be. Ask him to remind you of the means of grace that he's given you. Whichever of those two questions you need to sit on, have you put your trust in Jesus or what do you need to celebrate and what do you need to be honest about? Take a moment, consider those, pray, ask God and then we'll pray in just a moment. would you help us to have a clear picture and a clear vision of your love? That we would see, Jesus, the love that you've poured out, that you've given for us, that you didn't just say that you loved us, you showed it. God, that for every person in this room that hasn't put their trust in you as Lord and Savior, that it would be um, through the picture of the cross and of the empty tomb that, that your love would be on display, that you loved us enough to send your son to make a way for sinners to be saved. I'm grateful for it. God, if we need to respond to it with trusting in you, or we just need to remember God, would you help us to have a picture of your love? But would you help us also to have a picture of the value that you clearly place on people, God? That that love is driven by a value. That 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 love is driven by the 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 the, the weight, the value, the the worth that you put on men and women. That you desire for us to be saved, but you also desire for us to be shaped. To experience that blessed life, that blessed way. So help us to walk in it. Help us to discern in dating according to it. Jesus, that, that your way would be so clearly beautiful to us, it would lead to flourishing, that you would lead us in the way everlasting. And so, God, as we sing even now, we're going to worship you for what you've done. want to sing in response to who you are. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your gospel. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.